turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We'll talk about that first Noel that we sang about here a minute ago and the, and the verse that Audrey just quoted for us. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now that's a sign. You got to admit. When's the last time you went to visit the family member that had just had the baby and it was laying in a, basically a feeding trough? <laughs> You'll have to admit, okay, this must be the right one. I mean, verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. I want to preach this morning on the first Noel. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll speak to us, God, and I pray that we hear a message from you that... Uh, rings true because of so many details from this story that we commonly call the Christmas story, the story of our Lord Jesus' birth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to say this morning that the events surrounding the birth of Christ reveal God's attitude toward worldly glory and preferment and His blessed Son. Now our text is the most well-known account of the birth of Jesus Christ. What an astonishing thought that God can become a man. When I was a little boy in uh, Christian school years ago, they had a song that some of the classes would sing. My class never sang it, but some of the other classes did, and I heard it at different programs and things we had. said, how amazing, how confusing, how can God the Son become a man? How amazing, how confusing. I need to look that up, that old song, but... It is. We can't understand it. Our minds can't comprehend such a thing. But the Lord uh, predicted this way early on when he talked about the seed of the woman. And the devil apparently knew something about it, and, or at least had caught on to the general drift of it, so to speak, 
because he started trying to mess with the seed way back in Genesis. And the way he did it was, lo and behold, angels from up in heaven come down and uh, mate with the seed of men, as is mentioned again there in Daniel, and unusual things happened. And there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. Strange, strange stuff. I've told, talked about that to people before and they said, oh, well, you, that's not the proper interpretation of that passage. I try never to interpret my Bible. Amen. I try always to just read it and take it for what it says. Amen. And where it says something, I just believe it as it says it. And when it's a symbol, it will usually tell you it's a symbol. Or, you know, common sense, when Jesus says, I am the door, I know what he means. I don't think he's a literal, physical, wooden thing. You know, like a, I mean, obviously, we got a little common sense there, but uh, I try to take my Bible literally. So definitely this announcement of God the Son being born as a man was a tremendous thing. By the way, that's the meaning of the word Noel. It's an announcement that a little baby boy is born man-child, as they used to call it in olden days. But uh, how can God the Son become a man, even humbling himself to the helpless condition of a baby cared for by poor parents? Now, if it's wealthy parents, the baby can be taken care of some better, but it's pretty helpless even then. But God was manifest in the flesh. So surely, before God himself, the creator of the universe, shows up down here on earth in human flesh, surely they went to Caesar and said, all right, now Caesar, let me tell you what's going to go on. Somebody that even outranks you is going to show up in your kingdom. But that's not what happened. Not governors, not the king, not religious leaders. They're all unaware of it. There are a lot of people that think we old-fashioned Bible-believing Baptists because we have a handful of people that get together and spend time with the Lord are not as smart as the people that have a million followers on some internet social media. If we really had the truth, we would be popular with them and we would have the ear of the big dogs. No, no, that's not correct. Amen. If you have the ear of those that are powerful under the God of this world, which ain't the God of heaven, yeah. you're on the other team. When the angel showed up, he went to somebody else. So let's stay with our text. I think for you preacher boys, you would call this a textual sermon or um, what's that other word? Um, expository sermon. So we'll just expound the scripture here. Today, let's stay with our text and examine this first announcement of his birth. All right, first of all, let's notice the messenger himself. It says in verse uh, 9, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Uh, now, the word uh, angel in Greek it means a messenger. And so a lot of people teach because of the poor, weak Greek language and the poor, weak Greek word that an angel is just a messenger. That's all he is. <laughs> no, an angel is way more than just a messenger. But hey. admittedly, that is one of the things that an angel does. You do a lot better to stick with the English. It's just such a superior language. Yes, yes. And God got rid of the Greek real quick. 
100 years or so, certainly within 200 years, after the completion of the New Testament, Koine Greek was a dead language. Nobody even spoke it anymore. That's correct. That's how much God didn't like Greek. He just didn't care for it. He gave it. He gave his New Testament originally in Greek because that was the world's language. That was the universal language at the time, and he was speaking to everyone. But 100, 200 years later, it was already dead, and he had done moved on to Latin and the Germanic languages and all those things. And and now, guess what the universal language is? English. Yes. So guess how he's speaking now in English. So look out. Look out for those things. Now, I agree that long term, he's going back to Hebrew. He's a Hebrew God. Hebrews, the Jews are his people. And for all of eternity, we'll be up in heaven speaking Hebrew because that's who he is. And I'm happy to submit to who he is. But let me tell you how he's talking right now in English. So let's submit to it right now how he's talking. I'm not worried about how he talked 2,000 years ago near as much as I am how he's talking now. I'm not yes, amen. Too, too worried about how he's going to be talking 2,000 years from now as much as I am how's he talking right now. And right now he's talking in English. And so he is the angel of the Lord. He does bring God's message. Thank God, God not only sent his son, but he told people he sent his son. There are prophecies in the Old Testament that he was going to do so. And then when he does, he tells some people. Mary knows something's going on along these lines. Joseph knows something is going on along these lines. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth know something's going on along these lines. Old Testament prophecies tell you that these things are happening. And now, when it actually does happen, some people that probably haven't read that much scripture have an angel show up to them and tell them. Let me tell you something. When God decides he wants to get a message across, he gets it across. In Acts chapter 10, I guess it is, when that soldier needs to know something and he's just as sincere as he knows how to be and he fasts and prays and does everything he can, just as right-hearted as he can be, and the Lord wants to get him a message, you know what he does? He sends an angel to get somebody to him, doesn't he? The Lord gets a message to you. Which reminds me to say this, are you listening to the message? Uh -oh. The question is not, why doesn't God tell us? The question is, why aren't you listening? Let me tell you about God. He'll tell you in language you can understand. Amen. Good point. If you're listening. Now, sometimes people have a different personality type, or they're from a different era, or they're a different age, or they're a different sex, or they're a different... And they just communicate differently. And they may be trying to tell us something, and we may be trying to listen, but we can't understand what they say because we don't think that way. We don't have that problem with God. We know what he's saying if we're listening. With other people, you can be trying your best to listen, but they just speak a different language. God took all that into account, and he gets the message to you if you're listening. So the messenger is an angel to bring God's message. I'll tell you something else. He came straight from God's presence. A lot of the message in communication doesn't have anything to do with the word. Now, don't misunderstand. We make much of the words of God here at Victory Baptist Church, don't we? We get upset if you correct the words of God in our King James Bible, don't we? The words are important, but they're not everything. The spirit behind them does say something. 
When you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, there is an influence there that is not necessarily communicated in words. This is true in many ways. There are people that you've never really spoken to, but the look on their face and the tone in their voice and the people surrounding them show you, I just like that person. They just have a real sweet turn. <laughs> they just have some... Now, let me tell you what when it happens when somebody comes down from God. They are shining like you can't believe. And sure enough, verse 9 tells us, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. This angel had just come from the presence of God, and even before the word started, they felt something. You can feel fear even before somebody starts talking. Oh, yeah. You just see the look on their face. Or you can feel excitement and happiness or love or compassion or attraction. You uh, young adults, <laughs> there's some people I haven't said a word to you yet, but whoa, do you like looking at them, isn't there? I mean, there's a thousand ways you can apply this thing. You start to feel something before somebody ever even opens their mouth sometimes. And sure enough, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and before they he had even started saying any words, they were sore afraid. Christian, how's your presence with God? Does somebody feel his presence when you just walk up? You know, that's real. I, I am not a very spiritual person. God helped me to do better. And I do better than I used to, but I'm still a long way from where I need to be. I, I go too much by the, what I can see by my fleshy eyes and not by the eyes of faith and what I hear from my fleshy ears and not from ears of faith and what the situation looks like and how I'm afraid it might affect me instead of what God might be doing. Christian, if you have the right spirit and you spend time in the presence of God, it shows when you walk up even before the words start coming out. And I'm not making excuses for not giving words. You need to get words. I just want to say there's something about the presence of God in addition to the words. So he came from God's presence and man did it show. Tell you something else. He verifies the Old Testament. Number of his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government there shall be no end. And, uh, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet from, he, from thee shall he come forth to me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. I mean, these things went along. Don't ever follow something, even if it gives you a good feeling that is not in agreement with Scripture. Now, the feelings are real, but be sure they agree with Scripture. Plenty of people, because they get some good feelings, think, oh, that's God, that's God. <laughs> and it might be dirty sin. You've heard the old question, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why. Amen. So yeah, the feeling is real and the presence is real, but be sure it agrees with the words of Scripture. And this angel does agree with the words of Scripture. And when this angel finishes, you know what he does? He goes back to heaven. 
Look at verse 15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. That's where he was from. Watch this happen again. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 and when he had spoken these things while they beheld he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up behold two men stood by them in white apparel which also said ye men of Galilee why stand ye gazing up into heaven this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, and they, they got together and went on with their life. When you get a message from heaven, I'll tell you what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to do something with it. And sure enough, when these shepherds got this message, they went and did something with it. We'll talk about that in a minute. So the messenger employed is an angel of God come down from heaven. Secondly, let's look at the people that he's talking to, the, the persons addressed. Shepherds. Now, everybody teaches this different, but the sources I was given ever since I was a little boy say that shepherds are abiding in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night around September. Other people say it's every other different day in the, in the world to prove that, that that's the date that Jesus was born. But the sources I was given, and I wouldn't know, I wasn't back then, uh, is that it was around September, and that's why shepherds would be out in the field at this time. Now, what are shepherds? Shepherds are the people that keep sheep. They stay out there with the sheep. It's not a very exciting life. It's not thrill a minute, entertainment a minute. Now, there are some exciting things that break in once in a while, but you just sit there for long hours uh, when you're keeping sheep, oftentimes. So, these are the original Jews. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were kept livestock, didn't they? They were good at it. Jacob in particular, well, of course, all of them did well, but Jacob in particular, man, he had that thing down to a science. He had some stuff going that really blows my mind. Can't help but wonder if there was anything to it or if it was just the blessing of God. But the original Jews, the patriarchs, were absolutely shepherds. This is an honored profession in the Bible. This boring job. How many of you all would like, you younger people, would like to grow up to be a shepherd? Sit out in fields for hours and hours and hours at a time just watching the sheep, making sure nobody, no wolf came and ate them and they got to pasture and all those sort of things. Wouldn't that be the funnest thing in the world? Is that what you want to do? Go study to be a shepherd? Uh, in our fast-moving day, oh, what a boring thing that would be to a lot of people. But it's honored. Abel, the one that was righteous, instead of Cain, was a shepherd. The patriarchs were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David. Let's see, you give me five men greater than David in history. And David was a shepherd. King David. Some of the prophets were shepherds. And what do we call the leader of a church in the New Testament? A pastor. Guess what a pastor is? It's a shepherd. Amen. When I was studying literature and we studied the pastoral poems, I thought, what in the world is a pastoral poem? <laughs> it was a whole group of poems 
about shepherds, at least the ones they taught me in English class. Pastor and shepherd are synonymous terms. Some of the uh, some of the hyper dispensationalists get all upset about that, and they'll fuss and fight with you all day long. Really? That. But uh, they're they're synonymous. It's an honored profession. Now Jesus is the good chief shepherd. There are many people of whom it can be said he is a shepherd. But there is only one that is the shepherd. There is only one that is the chief shepherd. There's only one that is the good shepherd. Let me tell you about all human pastors. They are human. Therefore, they are not good. Amen. You know what Jesus said? Why callest thou me good? There is none good save one, that is God. All human pastors and all human shepherds are bad. Amen. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I have no problem admitting that to you, and you should have no problem receiving that. Amen. If you know yourself, and you know men, and you know women, and you know boys, and you know girls, and you know old people, and young people, and rich people, and poor people, and middle class people, let me tell you what you know about them. They're all sorry. <laughs> and if you don't put some parameters around them, they'll cheat, lie, steal, kill, or whatever else. Because they've got flesh. Yeah. Best bet is for them to get saved and have the Holy Spirit of God enliven that conscience so they got something to hold them back in their day-to-day -day life and then also be surrounded by some of God's people to further hold them back and have some laws in place to further hold them. You need a number of checks and balances anytime you've got human beings. You don't want a pastor with too much authority. You don't want deacons with too much authority. You don't want a president with too much authority. You don't want a king with too much authority. You don't want a husband with too much authority. You don't want a mother with too much authority. You don't want any human being to have too much authority because we're all horrible, hell-deserving sinners. But Jesus is different. He is the good shepherd. shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. In fact, it's good enough to just call him the shepherd. When you just say the shepherd, you know which one you mean. As opposed to a shepherd. And so this angel goes to shepherds. Another reason that he went to shepherds, as dad preached for years, is that the common people heard him gladly. And shepherds weren't, you know, the kings. And they weren't necessarily the movers and shakers. There were some wealthy shepherds, but there were... Plenty that were not. The common people heard him gladly. There is something about common people that are more open to the Lord Jesus Christ than the upper crust. If there is one way to see somebody reject the Lord Jesus Christ, just let them get lifted up in pride. And they're not interested in God's message except what they say God's message is. There is a special concern about younger preachers. Remember when the Apostle Paul says, not a novice, lest being lift up with pride come under the condemnation of the devil. There, whether you're, whatever the case may be, and there's many different cases where pride might come up, if it's a place where you get thinking you're right, oh, the trouble you are headed for. It's a whole lot better to be wrong than to think you're right. Somebody who is wrong, but is not proud about it, 
can be taught way better than somebody is sure they're right. Once you see that somebody is sure they're right, you are wasting your time. Don't ask me how I know. The common people, though, the ones that aren't sure that they've got all the answers, that aren't sure that they're right, that haven't been born with a silver spoon in their mouth and got everything they've ever wanted and needed, <laughs> those people are open to the message of God like other people just never are, and I don't understand all the reasons. But you go up to a high-ranking military official, used to get in his way all the time and try to give him a gospel track. <laughs> not only will he not even take the track, he won't even look at you. <laughs> Amen. Don't ask me how I know. In the same way with kings, in the same way with big, famous, powerful people. Now, I'll tell you something else about these shepherds. They have the right attitude and the right reactions to a message of God coming. Number one, it is always good to get the biggest, most important thing down first. So let's mention it. Let me tell you what your number one attitude toward God should be. Not your only attitude, but your main, primary, first attitude toward God should be. Look at the end of verse 9. And they were sore afraid. Now you shouldn't live your whole life only in the fear of God, but primarily and first, you should have the fear of God. Yes, amen. That should come first. You ought to see what a sinner you are and how holy he is, and that should scare you to death. You ought to see how weak you are and how strong he is, and that should scare you to death. You know what we teach the little children to sing? Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. You have no idea how profound that is. That's true. We could preach a series of sermons on they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Well, when you realize you're terribly weak and you're in the presence of a being that is very strong and you're very wicked and he is very holy, well, the first thought you get is, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I'm caught now and there's no way out. I can't outrun him. He's faster than me. I can't outwrestle him. He's stronger than me. I can't outargue him. He's more correct than me. I'm just when I have had my wrestlings with God and the Lord knows I've had them they are so much more uncomfortable than a wrestling and a debate with people because man I've been taught by some good teachers I know how to find the flaws in your argument and show you from logic and from verses of scripture that you are incorrect I've never been able to do that with God for one minute. <laughs> what I hate is the ones where it's nobody but me and him in a room, and he is wearing me out, and I can't even begin to come up with anything. <laughs> I just have to say, you got me. I have nothing to, <laughs> I have nothing to reply. And I'm never that way. Never. Ask the people who know me. <laughs> And that's the way it'll be one of these days on Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. You're going to get up there, and as Dr. Ruckman taught us, yes, sir, no, sir, no excuse, sir. You're 100% right, and I'm 100% wrong, sir, and that's the end of the whole story. <laughs> and I'm not that way with anybody else on the face of the earth. <laughs> I've been taught my scripture enough. I can get it, and I can go with the best of them until I face God, and then I just go, you win, all right. You. And sometimes it makes me so mad. 
But there's just no way around it. You know what I do when I come face to face with God? I get scared. Serve God reverently and with godly fear. Our God is a consuming fire. Fear not, ma'am, I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Amen. There's the one to fear. All right, so number one attitude these shepherds had was fear. All right, number two, interest. You can be scared of God and have no interest in what he's saying. From whose face the earth and heaven fled away. Did they stick around to say, all right, Lord, now what is your message for us so we can be sure and do it? They just wanted away. They were scared to death, but they had no interest in what he was actually saying. These shepherds were sore afraid, I'll give you, but they're also interested. After the angel calmed them down and said, fear not, and told them it was good news, they say, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see. So they have interest. They want to actually see it. You know why um, a lot of people don't hear much from God? Because even if they fear him, and Lord knows that should come first, they're not interested in figuring out what he has to say. Amen. He doesn't think exactly like you and me. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to study on it and ponder on it and meditate on it and chew on it as a cow chews its cud as it's often told. You're going to have to care what he says. And these shepherds cared enough to stop in the middle of what they were doing and go into Bethlehem and see this thing. But your mind is too full of the latest weather report, the latest sports report, the latest gossip report, the latest phone call, the latest text, the latest email, the latest whatever, until you're not interested in what God said. Amen. Number one was fear. Number two was interest. Number three was urgency. It says in verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph. They said, oh, we we're going to find him right now. An angel just appeared to us. I'm talking about at night, the place lit up with the glory of God. Good night. The Lord spoke to us and he told us where it was. Notice how specific God is. God is not worried about anybody checking on. A lot of people, when they tell stuff that they don't want to be found out on, they make it real vague. Have you ever read any Nostradamus' prophecies? You talk about a mess. I mean, you could interpret them to mean who knows what. God gave them a place and said, Bethlehem, and said, the baby that's laying in a manger. I mean, God gets real specific. Feel free to check on Feel free. He doesn't mind. Uh, fear, interest, urgency. And then they published it. They told what God said. When's the last time you talked about what God had talked to you about? Published it. Verse 17 says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. I know what keeps people from telling stuff. They don't really believe it. It hasn't really happened to them. You know what will keep you living right? When God Almighty worked in your life. Amen. Not just when you heard a story that he did this sometime in ancient days. Let me read to you from Judges chapter 2. 
Judges chapter 2, verse 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, here it is, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. You know how I know we're just about done with American Christianity? Because we're bringing up a generation that ain't ever seen the things that I saw when I was a little boy. And I never saw the things that was seen in the generation or two before me. And we're getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. I remember when you went in and had a revival and it lasted every day for a week. Oh, yeah. And a few of them went two weeks in my lifetime. That's true. You get people show up three days now, you're doing good. Guess what? Back then, there's a whole lot more people getting saved, too. But now we work in just enough between our uh, Netflix and our TV and our movies and our whatever else we got distracting us and our Christmas shopping and our ball games and our rom-coms and our whatever you like. Or maybe a couple times a year we can give the Lord three days. Protracted meetings that went for weeks, those days are gone. I guess we don't have enough labor-saving devices the way they did back then. <laughs> Wrong. It just ain't that important to us. You know why it ain't that important to us? We haven't seen the works that God did. If you saw the works that God did in this country in generations past, you'd be tickled to sit in church every night for four or five or six weeks because you saw some great stuff. We hadn't seen that in a long time. So maybe we can get two or three nights out of some people when it's convenient and fits in good. Published it. They published it. What? When did they publish it? When they had seen it. They not only heard it, I mean, they saw the angel. They saw the whole multitude praising God. They saw the baby right where they said it would be, and they went and told it. Now, what kind of a life did they live? There are a lot of people that quit on the Lord because they just don't have any joy. And they go around saying things like this. Well, Christianity has got too many rules. And if we was right, we'd know it'd be a relationship and, and not all these rules. And they're just so miserable and they're just so bummed out and they just call everybody, you know, a, a keeping standards and all those sorts of things and that just bums them out and, they're just miserable and they quit. And I admit, there are plenty of them that are. And I'll admit, it is no fun to be controlled. I, there, there's partial truth in all falsehood. Okay? I'll, I'll give you that. But when people hear from God in the Word of God, they're not miserable, they're happy. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You know what I'm thinking about people that leave Christianity all miserable? I'm thinking they was in something that didn't actually have the presence of God in it. Amen. And at least in their personal lives. Even when they leave good churches where there's, you know, bunches of other people in there that sure had a lot of joy in it. They don't in the same church. What's wrong? Somebody's getting the presence of God and somebody isn't. Look at Acts chapter 8. Now, 
after that famous encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 8.39, And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. When you've been in the presence of God, you're happy. If you're miserable, you ain't been in the presence of God. I bet it ain't the rules you're complaining about. I bet it's who you're with. If you're with the person you like, you don't care if you're keeping rules or not keeping rules. You're here with this beautiful person you love being with. You don't give a cotton picking about a little detail of what you're doing or not. You can be. I've seen people happy as could be breaking beans when they were with the person they loved. Yeah. And I've seen people bored stiff with breaking beans because they didn't care about anybody they were sitting there with. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say breaking beans. I don't know if anybody knows what that is anymore. <laughs> but that boring stuff, if you're with somebody that loves you and you love them and you're tickled to see them and spend time with them, oh, man, you don't care. You don't care what you're doing. You're with the person you want to be with. So the messenger employed is the angel. The person's addressed is the shepherds. Now let's look at the message communicated. Number one, good news. It is good news. I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It's good news. Unto you is born a Savior. It's not very good news to hear that a Savior is born, because that doesn't help me at all. Unless you say, unto you is born. Good point. That makes, a big that makes a big difference. He shall save his people from their sins, it says in another place. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you lost? Then he's after you. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Let me tell you something about the Apostle Paul. He thought he was the worst sinner, and he got saved. Uh, John Bunyan's famous work, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Oh, these are wonderful things. If you're lost, he came to save you. If you're the chief of sinners, he, he can handle that too. Amen. He can take it. It's good news. Unto you is born a Savior. All right, but it's universally significant. Now, I admit in the book of Luke, especially early in the book of Luke, but really throughout the synoptic gospels and all the gospels to some degree, he's talking to the Jews. That's who he's talking to. But this passage says this. I bring you good tidings of great joy, look at it, which shall be to all people. Uh, there was something about the Lord's birth that while it was primarily for the Jews, and we know that from our study of scriptures and the Gospels and even the early book of the, part of the book of Acts, they already were getting an idea that he was going to go to everybody. In some There's already some talk about it. It's universally significant. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah or anointed one. The Lord, you know who he is. He's the Lord. That's God. So no wonder when Abraham said that great statement to Isaac, he said the Lord will provide himself a lamb. No wonder that's worded the way that it is in our yeah. Bible. Yeah. The Lord will provide himself a lamb. 
Dr. Ruckman used to point out to us the devil had a point when he would argue against God in the Old Testament. And he said, now look, you knew they were going to fall because you have omniscience. There is some responsibility on you. Maybe an atheist once in a while has thrown that on you. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. How is he a good God if he knew that he was creating a race of people that would be damned? They have a partial point until Jesus showed up and said, all right, they're all free for nothing other than just receiving me. All right, now he has answered his part. He has met his responsibility. Now the ball's in your court. You say, I'm not smart enough. It's extremely simple. You say, I'm not rich enough. It's free. You say, I'm not strong enough. It takes no effort or no works. Every argument you can give against it is now gone. Even somebody who through some mental handicap cannot even understand it, the Bible says sin is not imputed when there is no law. So no sin is imputed to those people. Every single argument you can possibly come up, to, come up with, God has now answered. Christ, the Lord. The Lord said, all right, I started this mess, as you call it. I'll fix it. I'll come up and I'll answer every, every argument you have. And I'll just do it myself. How wonderful that God Almighty loved us like that. Mm -hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life the message communicated was good news it was universally significant it was about Christ the Lord and it said this glory to God verse 14 says glory to God in the highest you know why angels are around to glorify God you know what the cherubim and the seraphim do up in heaven Glorify God. You know what you're supposed to be doing down here on this earth? Glorifying God and pointing people to him. You know what his creation does? It glorifies God. You know what these angels said? Glory to God. You know what men and women and boys and girls are less interested in than they used to be in this country? Glorifying God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men. Now, Origen, the old scholar, so to speak, as they would call him, changed and altered the verse to read to men of goodwill. He added a sigma to the end of the Greek word there, changing the case of it so that you could switch it around and not make it peace, goodwill toward men, but peace to men of goodwill. As long as you have a good heart and you mean good, there needs to be peace to you. No. What does the Bible tell us about whether or not there are any good men? There aren't any. There is none good save one, that is God. What about the heart? Oh, I have goodwill in my heart toward you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying... Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Mm -hmm. Number one, you know what you want? You want peace. Amen. You want a harmonious life. Oh. You get tired of trouble and fighting. Warriors 
who think that they will love fighting get tired of it. They sure do. You want peace. The work of righteousness shall be peace. Wisdom from above is first peaceable and then goodwill. You know what you want to be surrounded by? You want to be surrounded by people that have goodwill toward you. They want to help you. They love you. You know how you know somebody has begun to lose their mind? When they start turning against the people that have goodwill toward them. That's exactly who you want, man! You know how I know we have a society that is crumbling? Because we have people turning against the very family members that love them and have goodwill toward them and go to people that couldn't care less about them. Nuts! Lost their mind! Cuckoo! Crazy! Amen. Let me tell you about God Almighty. I'll admit he's fearful at first. I said that was the first attitude you ought to have toward him. But as you get to know him, it becomes real clear he has goodwill toward you. You talk about nobody loves you like God. Your mother doesn't love you like God. Your daddy doesn't love you like God. Your closest friend, your closest family member, nobody loved you like God did. And you're going to turn from him that has that Not only does he have more power to help you, he has more willingness to help you than anybody else. You know you're dealing with a crazy person when they turn from God. Yeah. How long will you run away a fugitive from God? And second only to him would be people like our parents that he's put there. You turn away from them, you're nuts. You've lost your mind. And there's some applications to that in friendships and in marriage and in uh, many, different, many different ways. When you start turning on the people that love you, you've lost it. You are headed for self-destruction. Peace on earth, goodwill. Toward men. So the messenger is the angel, the persons addressed are the shepherds. The message is good news, universally significant about Christ the Lord. It's glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Who in the world would disagree with any of that? Nobody that, but somebody that's wicked or crazy. Now, this momentous occasion was announced by an angel, but mysteriously announced to working class, if you want to call them that, shepherds. Now I want to ask you, are you a common person? God has an announcement for you. The message is that you personally need a Savior. But I've got good news. He's already provided one. And it was himself, actually. Amen. A lot of times we get thinking if we could get somebody that's better than us and smarter than us and more righteous than us and stronger than us and we could get them to help us, they could lift us up to the next ledge that we're climbing up to. And that's true in a temporal sense. But if you can get God Almighty to help you that's perfectly holy and perfectly powerful and perfectly loving to you, He can lift you up where nobody else could ever hope to. Hey. Let me tell you something. Take your spouse and your children and give them to God. You know why? He can lift them up higher than you could ever hope to. Hey. Give yourself, give your soul, give your family, give your future, give your money, give everything to the God that can take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, and have a bunch of leftovers on top of that. Give it all to him. 
Do you believe you need a Savior? Will you receive Him? If you have received Him as your Savior, God help you to rejoice as these shepherds because of your spiritual blessing. Why in the world would you not want to talk about that? You know what the devil does a good job of? He does a good job of distracting us and he does a good job of discouraging us because we don't have the motivation to get up and do something. What do you rejoice about at Christmas time? Presents? Family? Time off from school or work? May this be a Christmas where the members of Victory Baptist Church in Crossville, Tennessee rejoice because when we were yet sinners, a Savior was given to us. And now every blessing on family that you can ever imagine just got multiplied by millions right there. Looking upon the pretty little children while we eat a meal with them and give them a couple of presents can't hold a candle of what Jesus can do for them. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. And 